Hi guys and welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thanks for joining us for our 10th episode. We're now into double digits, which is exciting. Damn exciting. And you're joined by, as per usual, Jack and Tierra. And yeah, no guest on this session, but we're doing our exciting Q&A and we've got a number of really good questions this week. Mm. Um, yeah, thank you so much for everyone who sent through a question. We think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode. Yeah, so we'll start off. We haven't given a weekly summary of what we've been up to, so I'll let Tierra start with that this time around. All right, so yeah, like Jack said, I don't think we guys, we've given you guys an update for like four weeks, so I guess this is more of like a monthly update now. But I guess in the last month, a lot has happened. Um, taken on quite a few new clients uh, for helping in their off season in preparation for season B, which is really exciting. That should be awesome. I, I absolutely love helping people in the long term and really being able to plan ahead for a prep and really getting to know your client. I really think and I strongly believe that's the way that it should be done. So super happy about that. I've been working a lot, had a lot of personal training clients as well, training really hard, hit quite a few new PBs in these last few weeks in like hip thrusts and my squats. So those are constantly climbing. I'm now able to do hip thrusts for like 120 kilograms for sets of 10, which is just awesome. I'm so happy with that because when I think back to around a year ago during the start of my prep, I was only doing, you know, sets of 10 for maybe 80 kilograms or so. So 120 is just awesome. And I also hit uh, sets of eight for my squats uh, at 85 kilograms. And a goal for me in the next few months is to get around eight reps at 90 kilograms or above and to try to do a one rep max at 100 kilograms by April or May. So super excited to keep working towards that. Uh, something pretty shitty happened about a week ago. So my house actually got broken into and my DSLR camera was stolen, which just, man, it absolutely sucks because I take all of my Instagram footage on that camera. And I remember the first year that I worked at UQ Sport, I spent my tax money on that camera, like my tax return money on that camera. So, so it just breaks my heart that my house got broken into and that got stolen because I was actually at Jack's house that night. And then when I got back to my house the next day, when I walked into my bedroom, there were like drawers open and my stuff was thrown around everywhere. And I noticed that my camera was missing and essentially, long story short, called the police, reported it. We had forensics come over. They collected um, some fingerprints and, you know, footprints from the intruder. And the whole house was locked the night before. They broke in on a Saturday night sometime around 8 p.m. And my housemates and I were all out at that time. And they actually climbed up on the roof and through like this small crack in one of my housemates' windows and broke through, grabbed one of their bags, just like an empty footy bag, and then went through all of our rooms, just essentially grabbing anything valuable that they could. And fuck, it just sucks, you know? They stole a lot of our stuff and they even broke into other homes on the street. So I'm, I'm really, really hoping that they catch this person because you just can't do that, man. You can't take other people's things. Like, I'm not kidding. Karma is a real thing. Uh, so yeah, that sucks. My camera got stolen, but what I did was I found a really nice guy called Matt on Gumtree. <laughs> and I um, bought myself a new camera slash phone. So I got the new iPhone XR, which has a phenomenal camera on it because had my previous iPhone for going on three years now and it's probably at the end of its life. So yeah, I guess that's one upside to it. I got a really good price on a new iPhone, but uh, I just want my camera back. It really sucks. And mm. what actually sucks more than anything is that that camera has a 64 gigabyte SD card in it. And literally that SD card is just full of hundreds of progress photos of me that I've taken, you know, throughout my 
physique journey all the way from last year during my prep, my off season. And essentially whoever the hell stole my camera just has an SD card full of a bunch of pictures of me in the exact same pose <laughs> in various different bikinis, um, taking progress updates with a good mixture of pictures of potatoes and pizzas as well that I post on my Instagram and a few squat videos. So yeah, some person out there has all of my progress photos. Anyway, okay, so that was my monthly update in a nutshell. Jack and I also just got back from a trip to Byron Bay. It was my very first time ever going to Byron. It was amazing. I love the beach so much. And the atmosphere at Byron is just awesome. You drive onto the main street and the first thing you see is just a bunch of shirtless and shoeless people just on bikes. It's it's a very relaxed atmosphere. I'd say, I'd say quite hippie. And yeah, we had an awesome time in Byron Bay, just totally chilling out, relaxing. And we are off to Thailand in three days as well, which is awesome. Never been to Asia, so that will be my very first time. So we leave, we're recording this on Tuesday, so we leave on Friday. Been to China. <laughs> I've been to China? Maybe not then. <laughs> I've not been to China. <laughs> um, <laughs> where the heck did you get that from? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I haven't been to China, <laughs> but yeah, we're leaving um, for Thailand in three days. That will be so great. So yeah, our next podcast that you guys will be tuning into, we will be recording over in Thailand, which will be awesome. So yeah, I'm going to hand over to Jack and he can fill you in on his week. So yeah, the past four weeks have been pretty eventful for me in regards to training. Things have slowly been picking up. So Many of you might have seen on my Instagram stories, but I'm slowly implementing squats, RDLs, um, back supported, uh, non chest supported back movement. So incorporating the lower back and yeah, things are going pretty well. The interesting thing with my back is that it doesn't hurt as much during my sessions or during the actual movements, but it will hurt a fair bit towards the end of the day or in the morning as well. Like, so when I'm not moving a lot and when I'm pretty static, it will hurt. And yeah, some days are pretty, like some days are a lot better than others as well. So like today is quite a good day, whereas the last couple of days have been um, pretty bad in terms of just like aching. And yeah, it's just an interesting phenomenon really. And yeah, I've had, got a few couple of new clients now as well for competing in season B this year, which is very exciting. And at the moment with them, I'm just making sure that they're staying on top of their training and maximizing that so we can build them up towards a diet as best we can and the same goes with their nutrition want to make sure that they're not that they're going to be starting prep in a good place so their calories will be nice and high and they will not be holding excessive amounts of body fat either so very exciting and i have i was actually listening to the competitive edge podcast which is with Alicia Gowns, Robbie Frame. And Jared Hustler. Yep. And I've actually, I actually mentioned this in the last podcast, but I've started working with a physio that they recommended who has really been helping me with my squatting and basically just giving me the confidence to go back into those movements because ultimately nothing is actually structurally wrong with my back. It's just, I uh, like just pain so it is and there's again, a bit of a mental component there too. yeah there undoubtedly is and yeah so over time just need to keep working through that and yeah hopefully it just keeps on getting better and better so what sort of things did you do with that physio because she's based down in sydney yeah so it was an online consult i did two of them and the second one was the first was just introductory and the second was just giving me squat cues um to help me feel more confident during squatting and yeah, just, yeah. So I basically went from 205 days without squatting and I started squatting last week with 80 kilos and today is another squat day. So I'll probably might even try 85 to 90 kilos, depending on how I'm feeling. And what's, what's like the set and rep range you're doing there? Well, I don't, if I'm not going super heavy, which I'm not, I do want to still obtain like a hypertrophic response. So I will be going as many reps as I need to about probably three within failure. So oh, I see. Maybe. So you're using a reps and reserve yeah. Yeah, approach. 
So it's still not even that high. It might only be like 12 to 15 because I'm not used to squatting still. So it's it's a fairly new stimulus again. So Yeah, it's so exciting that you're reintroducing it. So yeah, we'll get that's about it from me. We'll get on to the questions. Yeah, sounds good. We have so many good questions. So what is the first one? So the first one's by Riley Ken and it is thoughts from pre-workout slash caffeine before training in the off season and in prep. I love pre-workout. <laughs> I love pre-workout. So what would you say? So I would say that off season and prep is probably like two different stories. And my general, we, we all know that, well, maybe you don't, but caffeine is definitely one of the proven supplements benefit. And yeah, so caffeine has been repeatedly shown in the literature to enhance exercise performance. And the dosages that you want to go for is anywhere between three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight of caffeine and consuming that around an hour before your workout. Mm. So that's how you're going to get the maximum benefit from that. So whenever you look at your pre-workout tub, it should say the amount of caffeine per serving. So based on that, just times that by anywhere between three to six for your body weight, and you should figure out how much of that serving you will need before your workout. Yeah. So yeah, um, personally, I don't take it an hour before. I like to take it like right before I start my session. So because caffeine peaks after an hour. So if it depend, it, uh, especially if your session is a longer session, like two hours. Or three hours in your case sometimes. <laughs> well, yeah, we went to a new gym yesterday. Yeah, so. we went to Worlds yesterday. We didn't want to leave after like three hours. <laughs> so yeah, depending on that. And especially if you like do warm-ups and mobility before your session, then even drinking it during your mobility might be more beneficial than having it taper off too early um, towards the end. But basically in the off-season, off-season and prep, like I said, are two different stories. So in the off-season, you're in an abundance of energy. You have in an energy surplus. So caffeine might not be as necessary as in your prep. So maybe taking the lowest amount possible to get the greatest benefit you don't need to be having six milligrams per kilo of caffeine compared to in prep yeah and really gauge how you at like as an individual how you respond because i know personally if i have too much caffeine i get anxious i get stressed i have heart palpitations like like three milligrams is just fine for me that's pretty much the sweet spot anywhere above that you yeah, you can run into complications and it can just be an unpleasant experience and it could even potentially have detriments on your on your workout because mm. no one likes feeling anxious when they're in the gym. That's that's awful. And I will say in prep. So what I did in prep is I basically just started off with like one coffee a day and that was only like a teaspoon of instant coffee, so about 100 milligrams of caffeine, which isn't that much considering I'm a I probably would have been between around 80 to 85 kilos. And basically as my fatigue increased throughout in prep, which is inevitable, slowly increased that caffeine dosage. And then I actually only introduced um, pre-workout at like four weeks out. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I was trying to encourage him to have it the whole time. But no, but that was strategic <laughs> on my part because oh, I introduced the highest dose of caffeine at okay. the later stage and it felt amazing so yes okay well in my in my opinion you were disadvantaging yourself you were missing out a little bit there <laughs> but yeah as in in a nutshell yes caffeine before a workout is the number one proven supplement to take three to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight one hour before your workout and yeah Caffeine can enhance your strength and enhances your exercise performance. It can reduce your rate of perceived exertion, which means you can perform at the same intensity, but it won't feel as hard. And it can also help with uh, muscular contraction because caffeine is actually responsible or it is involved in releasing calcium from our sacroplasmic reticulum. Anyway, within the muscle cell, it can attach to contractile proteins, which can help them contract, leading to greater muscular contractions, greater strength, greater performance, and not to mention the cognitive benefits as well. Really helps with alertness and arousal and just feeling damn good. Arousal. Arousal. <laughs>
So the next question is by Lucas, and he asks, well, more of a statement, but increasing maintenance calorie level in the off-season. So how would you interpret this? So there are two ways, I guess. My interpretation is how would you go about maximizing your maintenance calories, so sort of your metabolism in the off-season, so you're starting prep on the highest calories possible. Okay. So maintenance calories or the total calories that you burn during the day are going to be attributed to a number of different factors. So the number one is your basal metabolic rate. So that's just the number of calories that you burn at rest. So that's going to be influenced by your hormones, particularly thyroid hormone, as well as the amount of muscle mass that you have and the total just body mass that you have as well. And and your health state as well. Mm. And then after that, you've got your NEAT, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So that's the amount of calories that you just burn doing anything that isn't necessarily structured exercise. So walking around the house, doing the dishes, fidgeting at your desk, just anything that you wouldn't say is structured exercise. Then after that, you would have structured exercise contributing to your total calories burnt during the day. So this would more be that run that you go on during the afternoon or the gym session that you do during the day. And then following that, you have the thermic effect of food, which is the amount of calories that you will burn simply just digesting and breaking down certain food components. So yeah, when you are in an off-season, you want to be finding your maintenance level and then increasing that by however many calories you need. I would typically say go by maybe 100 to 150 increment jumps to find a a rate of weight gain which is acceptable for you. And usually the recommendations for that is 1% to 1.5% of your body weight per month. Yeah. So if you're gaining more than that or excessive amounts, for example, like three or four kilos of weight per month, then you really just have to question like, is this really going to be helping me considering a natural athlete has like maximum maybe, I don't know, I don't want to quote specific numbers, but it's it's not you're, that much. You're physi- yeah, you're physiologically restricted to how much muscle you can realistically build within mm. a certain time frame. Yeah. And of course, gaining excess body fat is an important part of the process because... It allows you to increase your strength and yeah, you need to, you need to gain fat to gain muscle basically as a natural athlete. Yeah. So I wrote about this in a recent Instagram post. So yeah, essentially find your maintenance calories from that, add around a hundred calories and then collect data. So you're not only collecting scale weight, so your morning weigh-ins and then trying to take the average of those weigh-ins to find your average weight for the week but also collect data on your training performance, anthropometric measures. So you should be taking maybe skin folds on a monthly basis. That's what Jack and I are doing is right at the moment. Also girth measurements. So the circumference of your waist, of your arms, of your calves, taking progress photos, just collecting as much data as you can. So essentially you do want to be like jack said steadily gaining weight at that 0.5 to 1.5 percent of your body weight per month and just you really have to gauge it and Mm. one of the main things is is being consistent with your calorie tracking and your macronutrient tracking too so trying to stick to a baseline level of protein and then so that can be anywhere two to 2.5 grams per kilogram of body weight Your fat can be around one gram per kilogram of body weight. And then carbohydrates make up the remaining of those calories. And I would say when you do make calorie jumps or increasing your calories, have those predominantly come from carbohydrates because that's what's really going to help fuel your exercise during those resistance training sessions and help with recovery as well. Yeah, I will just wrap up this question by sort of summing it up by saying... So the majority of of your increase in maintenance calories will come from your increase in body weight. And genetically, there will be a difference between people not wanting to go above a certain body weight. That's why... So for example, for me, I've increased my calories by about 600 since starting training again. 
and naturally I'm just someone who has to eat a lot in order to gain weight. And obviously there's genetics, but there's also, I do a lot of, I do a highest volume style of training and I probably do quite a few steps each day as well. But compared to someone like Tiara, obviously she's female, but she can increase her calories by like 100 to 200 and then ride that out for several months sometimes. So. Yeah, exactly. So really you need to treat yourself as an individual and your coach needs to treat you on an individual basis as well if you're working with a coach. Mm. Just collect as much data as possible as guys. So moving on, our next question asker is called Manish. Manish Cool 542 and he asks, thanks for the question, uh, which supplements do you use? Okay, so Jack and I, we don't use that many supplements. I, w I definitely wouldn't say. I'd say essentially we just use pre-workout, primarily just for the caffeine and it tastes great. By the way, if you haven't yet tried your pre-workout hot, you gotta do it. So and it's actually science as well. Because science, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually, like it, having something hot does increase the absorption rate. So, well, absorption rate and also heat speeds up reactions. So, essentially, if you have caffeine, um, it's going to this is pretty bro terminology, but it's going to hit you harder <laughs> um, if you have it hot compared to drinking it cold. So, for example, having a hot coffee compared to a um, an iced coffee, but essentially have your pre-workout hot guys. It is so amazing. Just like you would with a cup of tea or instant coffee, just put it in a mug and then pour boiling water in, let it cool well, it down. It doesn't have to be that hot, just even hot tap water. Yeah, just warm, but um, yeah, the, the hot or the warm water, it just makes your pre-workout taste so much sweeter. It's like drinking this hot, sweet drink. It is, it's orgasmic. It's pretty damn amazing. <laughs> Okay, anyway, back to supplements. Okay, so Jack and I use pre-workout primarily just for the caffeine, and then we also use creatine every day. Creatine is a phenomenal supplement, really shown to, again, in the literature, the top two really are caffeine and creatine. So creatine is shown to improve muscular strength, muscular power, and also it can help with lean body mass gains as well. And cognitive benefits too. There's some new research showing coming out that to show that creatine is involved in improving memory and cognition and alertness and all these really cool things. And so, it doesn't matter when you take pre-work. Uh, sorry, creatine either. You just take um, what uh, you're serving anytime throughout the day. Yeah. So, so any um, dosing between three to five grams of creatine per day. That's what's recommended in the literature. And then Jack and I use protein powder on a daily basis, but would you say protein powder is a supplement? No, I would I say know. that it does supplement your daily amount of protein, but it, I wouldn't classify it as a supplement. Yeah, it's just so widely used. I'm not sure. I guess if you guys, if you guys consider protein powder a supplement, then I guess we use that. But yeah, um, mm. I love protein powder as well. And then you, you, use, you take omega-3 fish oils, correct? Yeah, and that's just because I don't have much fatty fish in my diet. So mm -hmm. I supplement with fish oils and we also occasionally take magnesium as well before dip bed. Yeah, so magnesium around 500 milligrams um, around two hours before we fall asleep. Magnesium just helps with um, muscle relaxation and it can help just you feel relaxed before bed and get a good quality night's sleep. So that's pretty good. I think that's that's essentially all we take, right? Yeah. Yeah, we we really we aren't huge proponents um, or advocates for essentially any other supplement. We really strongly believe that you can get all of your nutrients through the diet. Even the ones that we just recommended, you can get those through the diet. Like Jesus, if you ate enough meat, you could get three to five grams of creatine. <laughs> or if you drink a hell of a lot of coffee, you obviously don't need pre-workout. But those are the supplements that we take and that we, I guess would recommend if it aligns with your goals and if your diet is adequate. One thing I just wanna to say to finish on is that supplements are only going to give you a maximum 3% benefit in your performance. But I would never recommend that anyone even consider supplements unless the other 97% of your diet and lifestyle is absolutely nailed. You know, you have to get those fundamentals down packed before you ever consider taking supplements. So just keep that in mind. 
All right, next one. So next one's by Daniel Abella, and it is, what will you do differently next contest prep? What will you do the same long-term competitive goals? That is a fully loaded question. Okay. Damn, that's a good question. Okay, so, well, I guess we'll start with the first one. So what will you do differently next contest prep? So for me, I was overall very happy with my prep considering it was my first one, but there's probably, yeah, a couple of things that I would probably, now that I, in hindsight, I would probably modify slightly and that would be one, starting a bit earlier. So therefore, I minimize my risk of losing too much muscle mass. Also helps me get a little bit leaner as well. So how much earlier? Because your last contest prep, how many weeks was it total? I started 20 weeks out from my first show. So I'll probably start 25 to 30 weeks out maybe. Awesome. And probably second thing would be incorporate more refeeds and diet breaks. So I haven't really decided yet, but maybe even trialing something like first 10 weeks will be normal dieting. And then after that, incorporating a a, a weekly diet break every second week yeah. or something like I that. I guess it will also be based off the research that comes out because Jackson Pios, who is a PhD candidate over at the University of Western Australia, he's currently doing a PhD looking at diet breaks in physique athletes. And their current protocol is three weeks of dieting followed by a one week diet break at maintenance. And just from preliminary um, evidence and results, I think they're seeing some pretty promising results and yeah. definitely positive results from using that approach. Yes, thank you. <laughs> using that approach. <laughs> um, so, and definitely by the time you compete next, which is what, like 2021? Yeah. Yeah, that research will certainly be published. So definitely be able to apply that to our future preps and also clients as well. And yeah, the third thing for me will just be posing. I think I definitely had the individual poses down, but I think definitely more fluidity in terms of my transitions and stuff like that. I thought your posing was pretty good, so you're really good. Wow, I didn't know you'd say that. Um, yeah, I guess that I would, I would definitely be the same as Jack. So I want to do a longer contest prep. I really want to implement more diet breaks. My last contest prep was 17 weeks in total. So I definitely want to go more upwards of 25 weeks. And during my next contest prep, I would also like to eat a little bit less protein because I think, to be honest, I think my protein intake was just way too high during my last contest prep and that it can definitely be lowered and I can contribute more of those calories towards carbohydrates to just help me fuel my exercise sessions, perhaps get a bit of a better pump. I felt so flat during my whole contest prep and also just with recovery as well and just energy levels. I think my protein, I'm gonna admit, okay, I was using the wrong chicken thing on <laughs> on my fitness pal. I think I was using the, was it the raw weight? You were just or, using an inaccurate Yeah, I was just entry. using some sort of inaccurate chicken entry. And it turns out, and I was eating probably chicken once or twice a day, every day. So I was eating a hell of a lot more protein than I actually thought. I, from what I was calculating, I thought that I was around 160 grams of protein. But to be totally honest, I was probably upwards of like 200 grams. No joke. Hey, I still got lean. <laughs> But yeah, um, definitely I need to lower my protein next contest prep, especially with the new research that's coming out. You really don't need to be anywhere above around like 2.5 grams per kilogram. Like that's not necessarily going to help you retain more muscle mass as long as you are resistance training and spreading your protein out evenly throughout the day and getting, you know, adequate leucine in there and all that. So that's definitely something I'm going to do differently. Um, Next contest prep, I will be competing with the IFBB. So a huge component of that is learning how to do IFBB bikini posing. Super excited. It's going to take a hell of a lot of practice, but I'm really, really looking forward to that. And what will we do the same? Well, I think I can, we can speak for, I can speak for both of us in saying that giving the same amount of dedication and like giving our all into a prep, which is what you, 
sort of need to do to in order to yeah we get really we out. didn't make any excuses we always we always you know yeah we got didn't our miss meal, a training session didn't miss a training session didn't miss a meal didn't crazy deviate away from our macros on any given day we're mm. very accurate apart from my chicken <laughs> but yeah what will we do the same oh and i guess well next contest prep is going to be so much better because jack and i won't be in uni won't have the crazy stress of prac or waking up at awful hours of the morning and training really late at night and just jesus christ it's going to be so much more relaxed my next contest prep I'm going to be living by the beach and I can go for walks on the beach every day and we're going to get much better sleep as well. Yeah, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. I know it's going to be so much better than the last one we completed during the first semester of our master's degree. And long-term competitive goals. Oh, I will just add in one thing that we definitely will continue to do the same is having a high carbohydrate approach and a lower fat approach with adequate protein because that worked certainly very well. And yeah. Okay. So what's the next one? Long-term competitive goals. So what are yours? So mine are just to, yeah, continue training and diet, training as hard as I can and keep on enjoying it and yeah let the results of me competing follow that because obviously you can't decide who steps on stage with you or who the judges are or what happens so it's very difficult to predict but obviously I would like to become a pro in the long term whenever that might happen natty yes <laughs> can't say the same for you though since you'll be IFBB hey man I I will be a natural for life, a natural IFBB, I promise. <laughs> and yeah, so I would like to, next competitive season, I would, because it'll be my last year as a junior, I'll be 23. So I would like to try my own in the WNBF juniors category. And also the, I won't be able to do ICN, but I can do A and B, I think, as a junior at 23. So which year? That'll be 20, 2021. 2021 and season B? Um, yes. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, if anyone knows, I, I actually messaged WNBF, but they didn't get back to me. Uh, can you still be, do you, is it 23 as of that year that you can compete or is it on the day of competition? Do you have to be 23? Yeah. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure. So mm. yeah. So if anyone knows the answer to that, please shoot us through. That'd be great. So, and so that's your competitive goals. Great. And do you have a certain amount of weight that you want to gain? 100 kilograms? <laughs> well, yeah, eventually one day. <laughs> the big one zero zero. <laughs> okay, and my long-term competitive goals, I want to enter the IFBB and one day become an IFBB Bikini Pro. I would absolutely love to compete at the Arnold's and one day I want to compete at the Olympia and be competitive. I know I have what it takes and I'm so freaking damn excited. <laughs> I just, I love this sport. So that is for sure my ultimate goal and I'm willing to do anything it takes to achieve it. Anything, that's quite a big statement. Anything, anything while still being natural. <laughs> what about like destroying your family relationship or something? Why like would that? I destroy my family relationship? <laughs> well, that's just the effect sometimes prep can happen. You need to maintain your relationships and that sort of stuff. Yeah, so. well, I say we have a pretty good relationship <laughs> and I've got a great relationship with my family. I'm not going to destroy our family. <laughs> okay, um, next question. I want to pronounce this one because I'm not sure how, and I'm so sorry, I'm probably going to pronounce your name wrong, but Mr. They angster. I it might have been gangster. I'm not sure. Mr. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. They gangster. But you did ask a great question. Thank you so much. Okay, so Jack, can you read that out? Uh, ketones just as efficient for heavy weightlifting as glycogen. So long story short, I no. want to say no. Yes. So as we know, glycogen and glucose is our main fuel source used during exercise and ketones especially the way i interpret this is that you'd probably be supplementing with ketones exogenously and if you're supplementing with ketones exogenously unless you are already in ketosis which means that your blood ketone levels are between one to five millimoles per liter then if you're doing exercise and you're 
have a balanced diet or a car high carbohydrate diet, your body's always going to prefer using glucose and glycogen as a fuel source, especially during weightlifting. And we know that the primary fuel source you use during exercise ba is based on your exercise intensity, which is calculated as a percent of your VO2 max. So anything generally less than 60%, which is pretty low intensity, you know, just walking around, you can still have a conversation while you're exercising. You are predominantly using fatty acids as a fuel source and it is aerobic metabolism. However, when we are lifting weights and exercising at generally a given intensity in the gym, we are predominantly using glucose and glycogen as a fuel because we're undergoing anaerobic metabolism. Yes. And yeah, a good way to compare it is basically it's like on Google Maps when you do a direction and you have one choice, which is the direct route, or you can take the route that takes another half an hour. Might be a little bit more scenic, but gets you there a lot later. <laughs> Would it be more scenic? Are <laughs> Maybe not. Are ketones more scenic? Might I... you take you through a dodgy part of town or yeah, something like that. I like glucose. I like bread. <laughs> um, but yeah, the direct route is... So the using glycogen is just a more direct route. It's more preferred. And yeah, the other factor is in order to have a blood ketone level, you either have to supplement with ketones, which is what Tierra said, or you have to be in a state of ketosis, which means eating very, very, very little carbohydrate. Yeah, so a lot of people don't actually understand that the ketogenic diet is incredibly, an incredibly high fat diet. You have to consume around 80% of your calories from fat and only around 10 to 15% comes from protein and only around 5% comes from carbohydrates. Mm. So it's actually an incredibly difficult diet to adhere to and to follow. A lot of people claim that they are following a ketogenic diet when Jesus Christ, no way, unless you are like putting tablespoons upon tablespoons on your butter on your little piece of steak, then you, you're not in ketosis. Mm. Um, you can't even eat a lot most vegetables because vegetables are too high in carbs and so is fruit. Exactly, and it's really hard for exercise performance as well because if you're only getting around 10 to 15% of your calories from protein, that's usually not going to make the cut for to equal at least two grams per kilogram of body weight. So it's not really going to support lean muscle mass gains or recovery and then if you go which most people do who claim to be following ketogenic diet it's more just a high protein pretty high uh, fat diet with minimal carbs but if you eat too much protein then you can go those amino acids can be broken down into glucose in the body and that can kick you out of ketosis as well so if Ouch. you i know i don't want to get kicked man um but yeah if if you are following a ketogenic diet or if someone claims that they are just ask them hey are you actually measuring your blood ketone levels because they do need to be between one to five millimoles per liter and yeah you measure this via blood ketone levels so you can prick yourself um, and put a little strip in or you can take urinary ketones but sometimes the urine um, ketones aren't as accurate as yeah. blood ketone levels and actually, Jack and I, one time in dietetics class, we um, have this professor named Veronique. She's fantastic. And she was teaching us about the ketogenic diet in one of our workshops. And she got all of the students to actually measure their blood ketone levels. And this is right after Jack and I were coming out of prep. Our carbohydrates were insanely high. I think, well, mine were pretty similar to what they are now, but they were around 350 grams per day. Yours were upwards of what? 650 or something. 650. Anyway, so our blood ketone levels were 0 0.1 millimoles per liter. So just safe to say we were not in ketosis. So next question, this is by Cody Hearn and it is Instagram content consistency tips. Okay, so in order to be consistent with posting on Instagram, my best recommendation would just be to fall into the rhythm of doing it and set yourself little goals. We all know that just like with anything, once you start, it's easier to keep that momentum up compared to if you fall off the wagon, sometimes it is harder to jump back on. So 
we're all guilty of it. Jack Mm. and I have gone, you know, when things get hectic, Instagram is not a top priority. So, you know, we've gone like a week or two or a few weeks without posting. The world doesn't end, guys, just by the way. (laughs) But we set ourselves little goals. So right now we've set ourselves a goal to post at least once every two days. Um, And then plan content in advance. So we like to set up our page with a combination of like, food photos, physique updates, exercise videos, things like that. So have an idea in your head of what you want your page to look like. And yeah, plan ahead. What I actually do, I have, I write a lot of notes on my phone and whenever an idea comes to me, whether that be from just listening to a podcast or reading something or just walking and I feel very creative, whenever I have an idea spark in my head, I write it down and I actually have a huge list um, on my notes in my iPhone relating to Instagram content ideas. And then whenever I want to post something, I usually pick one of those topics and then I go in and I write about it. So yeah, I would just say try to keep the momentum up and set a little goal for yourself, either posting once every two days or at least once every three days. Or if you can't even do that, just try to post once a week. What would you say? Yeah, the biggest thing for me was not necessarily, I have a heap of content that I can readily post. It was more just caring too much about what other people thought and just being judged. So like not worrying too much about what it is that you're posting. Like if people aren't going to, don't like it, they're, they're just going to pass over it. Or like even just look at, think about how you yourself act on a on Instagram, if you're looking through people's stories, you're just tapping and tapping till you see, oh, this might be interesting and you look at it. But Yeah, that no one's gonna notice if you have a little freckle on your nose mm. or something like <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, and especially like the caption might be worth a lot more than the photo as well and yeah, so Yeah, exactly. You have to provide education, you have to provide entertainment, you have to provide quality content because Instagram these days, there are just way too many profiles out there with either pretty pictures of food or chicks with really nice butts and tits. But like, I'm not kidding, man. But the captions, they just mean nothing. You know, you go into this gorgeous profile of all these smoothie bowls, but every single caption is just like morning smoothie or love my fruit, you know, they're not providing you with anything. And because Instagram is so saturated with that stuff, this is just my personal opinion, but I don't follow pages like that because I like being educated. I like being motivated. I like being inspired. I like reading valuable captions that are heartfelt and written and actually like teach me something. So that's one of my big recommendations is it's always quality over quantity. So even if you don't post every single day, even if you just post twice a week or something, as long as the message that you're trying to deliver to people is valuable, that's worth way more than seven pictures of your physique or something like that. I just really want to put that out there. And also don't be scared to be judged, man, because people are going to judge you no matter what the hell you do. So you might as well be judged for doing the things that you love and the things that make you happy. So yeah, I guess that's our answer for that question. Yep. Sweet, okay, next one, we got two more. How to find a coach for your first bodybuilding prep. Okay, so I guess I'll let you go. So who was that asked by? Um, that was asked by Tahir Candy. I really hope I pronounced that right. I feel like I you're testing think, me. No, I don't think there's an I there, is there? Kahir Candy, yeah. Okay, right. So ultimately, even in Brisbane, which is like a moderately, like smallish, yeah, moderate city, there is quite a lot of choice um, on which bodybuilding coach you can choose. And yeah, if it was me, I always look for, is the coach evidence-based? So are they using the most recent... Um, nutrition and training principles in their techniques and also looking at their previous clientele did they get lean enough how well did they pose were they completely burnt out at the end like how did the reverse diet go as well were they were they like did they gain like 20 kilos in two weeks or something like that Yeah, exactly. Or where did they start from in their off season as well were they training hard in their off season or what was their physique like then 
yeah and also the um obviously the client coach relationship as well like were people happy with um them were like obviously you want to leave the prep being a friend as well so yeah that's a huge one if if i were to choose a coach i would want to go with someone who has a good reputation and i would like jack said i would speak to a few of their clientele and get a good idea of how the coach took care of them and how much the coach cared and how the coach how quickly and promptly were they to respond or update their training protocols and give it give helpful advice and yeah be there not just to update you know that their macros or the number of sets or reps they were doing but be there for emotional support as well because prep is mentally freaking tough and sometimes you need someone to talk to and i think it's so important that you feel comfortable with your coach and you feel like you can literally tell them anything they really need to know what's going on so yeah i would talk to a few of their clientele get a good idea of the type of coach that they are and also i i would always put that before finances i would always put that before finances because you will find if you get a coach who's only charging you know, $20 a week or something. And <laughs> Jesus, like you, you really have to think about that too. Like usually bodybuilding is an expensive sport and the best coaches out there, you know, they are going to charge you quite a bit of money, upwards of $100 a week. But usually for those very evidence-based great coaches, they're worth every single penny, guys. They're, they're so worth it. Especially for your first prep as well. Yeah, you want to have a good time your first prep, you know? You want to have have a really good experience and a really good journey. You don't want to be put off the entire process as a whole just because you weren't taken care of. Yep. Mm. So next question is how to progress in the gym whilst being injured. So I would say, I know you can probably speak about this a lot because... You've just had more injuries than me. Mm. But how to make progress in the gym while being injured. So the first thing I would look to as is what part of you is injured. So for example, let's say something in your lower body is injured, like your foot's broken or something like that. What exercises can you still do and still progress with? So if your foot was broken, I would really say there's no excuse why you can't train upper body. There's no excuse for that. Mm. So you could certainly progress with your upper body strength across almost every single movement other than if you're maybe doing like a standing bent over row or something you know um but yeah look at the part of your body that is injured and then aim to progress with every other body part or even let's say that your foot was broken again you could still progress with yeah it would suck Damn. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Let's say both your feet are broken. Let's just make this situation really bad. Um, if both your feet were broken, how you could still progress with your lower body. So there's still some exercises that you could do for sure. You can still definitely do leg extension and leg curl. I reckon you could still do hip abduction and abduction. Yeah. Adduction yeah. and abduction. Abduction and adduction. Yes. <laughs> the, those are two very tricky words. <laughs> Yeah, I guess the key here is just finding exercises you can do and try and progress because ultimately um, progression is the key. So, and also I will add a few things in from personal experience is mainly not getting ahead of yourself and saying, oh, I might try this to get today. It's a bit risky, but I'll see how it goes. Um, it's better just not to do that and not worth, it's not worth re-injuring yourself or making it worse. Yeah, and just having more time off. Yeah, and also listening to exactly what the doctor says, especially if it's something as serious as like a broken foot, just checking it with them or whatever physio or other allied health professional you're seeing. Yes, but we did also talk about this in another podcast too. Sometimes if you have a doctor or a physio who's not a sports physio or a doctor who you can just see by their lifestyle, perhaps they don't resistance train, then, and if they tell you, you can't do anything for two months, you, you're you not allowed to go to the gym, you're not allowed to do any exercise, and you're like, but all I wanna do is exercise, you don't understand, I love exercising, I love going to the gym, get a second opinion, you know, from someone who has worked with a similar clientele, mm. because, Usually you can always do something. I, I've, there's very few cases where you have to settle for 
not being able to do anything because exercise is not only important for physical health but mental health mm. too and a lot of people forget about that or they just don't recognize it so yeah like a sports doctor or sports physio there's always like a sports component of each mm-hmm. um allied health usually so yeah so just seek professional help and work around the injury and yeah if your feet are broken get in there train some chest back and arms and get big <laughs> So yeah, that's the end of the question, guys. Uh, really good round of questions this week. So thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks so much. That was epic. I think we smashed through those. And finishing off as usual, Tierra will go first and saying what she learned this week. Ah, so I'm first this time. Okay. All right. So what I learned this week is I was reading through Eric Helms, The Muscle and Strength Pyramids, his training book. And he actually made this really interesting point in that for you'll find that advanced bodybuilders, when they go through, they'll have like years off for their off season, and then they'll come back and diet down again for another show. And you'll find that their body weight may have only changed by like maybe one pound compared to when they last competed, which is crazy. And what I actually found out through reading this book is that it's not necessarily that they are building more muscle mass during their off season, but rather when they prep and they diet down, they're taking a much more strategic approach. So for example, they're giving themselves a longer time frame to prep. They're incorporating more diet breaks, more refeeds. They're spreading out their protein better throughout the day, more carbohydrates, a combination of these different factors, better sleep as well. But essentially, It's just through taking a more strategic approach through their prep that allows them to retain more muscle mass compared to that they've actually built more muscle mass, if that makes sense. Because at that advanced level, your body really is restricted to how much muscle you can hold as a natural athlete. And you probably do reach a certain point where your body just doesn't want to build any more muscle. So yeah, Uh, taking a more strategic approach to your prep as an advanced athlete is more likely to help you to retain more muscle mass, which is, which is a really cool concept. Okay. So Jack, what did you learn this week? So I was listening to a podcast, which had a small section on anabolics and something I found quite interesting was instead of having a like very standardized testosterone dosage, because usually The anabolic of one of the major ones is testosterone, and obviously there are different types of that. But instead of going for just the highest amount possible or like a... a, Like like a starting dose. Yeah, a starting Mm. dose. It's actually much better to tailor it towards um, what your natural testosterone levels are. So if you're on the lower spectrum, going for something a bit more conservative, if you naturally have a high amount of testosterone, going something that's a bit more elevated. Um, But yeah, obviously I don't... Neither of us know much about anabolics at all but yeah i just thought since we know so little that little point was quite interesting yeah pretty interesting so yeah always get blood work done and if you were to ever go down that route definitely work with a very experienced coach who's going to take care of you and yeah it's not just some standardized dosage of 600 milligrams of testosterone or something it highly depends on where you are naturally yep sweet Okay, so I think that is the end of the podcast for today. Again, that guys, thanks so much for contributing and asking all of your questions. We really appreciate it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please take a screenshot, post on your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians. And yeah, next time we tune in, we will be in Thailand. Yep. Damn, so exciting. Okay, see so you guys. see you later. Bye.